Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Kelly is the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency in Phoenix, Arizona, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and the You Before Me campaign. She has a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. She was adopted when she was three days old. She was born to a teen birth mother raised in a closed adoption and reunited with her birth mother in 2007. Our goal with the Birth Mother Matters and Adoption podcast is to spread awareness and education about the beautiful choice that is adoption. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and you may see people wearing purple in support of, you know, kind of getting the word out about domestic violence. And that's one of the things we try to do here on the show is raise awareness so that people know what's out there and maybe try and give them a little understanding into it. And you've been preparing this podcast for a while now, and we're just getting it out at the end of October, but we thought it's still so important that we need to share this. And Ron, I appreciate that. I I have been been working on this for a while now. Um, I think in order to stop something from continuing to happen, it's important to educate others, just like we do with uh, all of the information about myths and so forth regarding pregnancy and adoption. Uh, I think a, a greater understanding, a stronger base in education about domestic violence will result in hopefully lowering the women that experience this and the men. Domestic violence is defined as a pattern of abusive or coercive behavior used to gain and maintain power and control over another person. This includes emotional abuse, financial control, intimidation, pet abuse, sexual coercion, and so much more. By understanding what something is, I think people will be able to learn that what they're experiencing or what's happening to them is really domestic violence. Domestic violence isn't defined as a black eye. And unfortunately, in a domestic violent situation or relationship, there can be more than one type of abuse experienced underneath the umbrella of domestic violence. And so by breaking this down, I'm hoping that women who are experiencing some or maybe all of these awful patterns of abuse can recognize it and they can get help and hopefully get away from the person that is doing this to them. One of the reasons that so many people are afraid to come forward when they have been a victim of domestic violence is because of victim blaming attitudes, which can marginalize a survivor, making it harder to seek services and heal. I think another reason is for the fear that they won't be believed or they will be marginalized, or they will be made to feel like it is their fault. These are examples of the coercion and the power that is exerted over a domestic violence victim. 
again, as we go through the definitions and the statistics and so forth, I have been a social worker my whole life. And I have, I have watched women who have really struggled to leave their partner. And it's so under, it's so difficult to understand why. And so hopefully today, as we, as we look at all of the research and try to gain an understanding of really what domestic violence encompasses, I think that we will be able to hopefully increase awareness and decrease the number of victims and the experiences that the victims incur. Even decrease the stigma that you talk about, you know, so that a woman isn't afraid or a man, but mostly a woman, obviously, isn't afraid to come forward and not feel like she's going to be ridiculed by the people around her and and the people she talks to and that she will be believed, you know, so that we can, you know, you just want to put a stop to all of it. And how do you do that? I mean, obviously, punishment for the perpetrators is one thing, but nobody as a child, I don't think, would ever kind of look toward their adulthood and say, I want to batter my wife or I want to abuse somebody who I love. But I think that you you pointed out something that is very powerful, and that is that when there is domestic violence in the home and you have children and they're aware of this, you know, they are living in fear that somebody is going to get hurt. They are learning behaviors that you don't want a child to learn. Um, you know, the people that they look up to, whether it be the mother or the father that is the perpetrator in a domestic violence relationship, they are look, they look up to these people. These people are already on a pedestal and they're watching behavior that is detrimental to their, to every aspect of their growth as a child. And you are a perpetrator is not only harming his specific victim, but he's harming his children or she's harming her children as well. And for the sake of this podcast, I think because the majority of people that are victims in domestic violence are women. If we do refer to her as being a victim versus him or they just please understand that, that we are recognizing that men have been, are, and unfortunately will continue to be victims of domestic violence as well. According to the national statistics, domestic violence fact sheet, on average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. And that is uh, defined through the CDC. So that's where they got their their facts. When domestic violence occurred, um, there is a correlation of a higher rate of depression and suicidal behavior. Additionally, only 34% of those who are injured by intimate partners receive medical care for their injuries. So clearly an intimate partner is, we're defining that as somebody that you have an existing relationship with, whether it was a current partner, husband, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, a past one. Um, it could be, yeah, it's somebody that you have an intimate relationship with and a connection with. Um, nine. 18.3 million women and 5.1 million men in the United States have been stalked in their lifetime. And that's a lot. I think stalking is an underrated form of domestic violence that is given little attention to. In the state of Arizona, 
the court systems have really tried to streamline and expedite orders of protection for women and men of domestic violence that are victims, because I think they they are finding that if if they can streamline it and make it easier, then maybe women will be able to uh, obtain these orders easier. There's no longer fees for them. So when you get a an order of protection, there's not a fee. You can go to azpoint.gov and fill out the, uh, the motion and the petition online. And then they've made it so easy that you can actually call the court system and they will do a same day telephonic hearing with you to obtain the order. And then they send out, usually it's somebody from the sheriff's department to serve that. Um, I think that takes a couple of days to get the actual service. And the reason I think that this is so incredible for Arizona and such a huge um, step in the right direction is because it really makes it easier. You know, you there is a, uh, when you go to the website, the azpoint.gov, there is a button you can click on the site. So if your partner who is your per- the perpetrator of the domestic violence was to come in the bedroom or was to come in the room that you're filling this out, you can immediately click the button and, and the screen disappears. So it's not like you have to find the you know escape button or to try to exit out of it. Mm-hmm. You click a button and it changes the screen immediately. And so um, also what it does is it saves it on their portal. And so if you need to come back at some point or you're, maybe you fill it out and you're not ready to go to court, um, maybe you have lots of children and going to a hearing and not knowing what to do with your your children is an issue. This takes care of that. So I think that that is just absolutely incredible that we have gotten to a place in Arizona where we can recognize that obtaining an order of protection is, is not as difficult as it used to be. You know, you don't have to go down and and try to figure out how to fill out this form or which court to go to or come up with the money to pay for it. It's all been taken care of. And I think that's very important because we've talked about Maslow's hierarchy of values and Needs. <laughs> of needs. I'm sorry. Yep. And that's the thing. So m- many of these people, especially the women, they're in situations where their immediate needs are making sure their children are fed and, you know, the very basics. So talking to them about doing a court procedure and, you know, oh, go to a lawyer and do this and do that. It's out of the realm of possibility for them because they're like, you know what? I got to feed my kids right now. I So if we make this as easy as it possibly can be for them to get out of these situations and, you know, help distance themselves from the danger, I think that's just vital. I, I'm very happy and proud of Arizona for doing this this way. And, I, you know, my hope in the future is is actually for the court systems to even take it a step further and understand that a lot of times that women don't get orders of protection or they are hesitant to try to leave their partner is because if they do have children, they understand that if the domestic violence was really towards them and not the children, that he may very well get 50-50 custody or he may get unsupervised visitation, which is the commonality that he's not going to. I mean, yes, the domestic violence can absolutely result in a Department of Child Safety report and that that could be looked into. But if if the violence wasn't directed towards the child, then the courts have been very encouraging of joint parenting time. And women have been in the position of having to decide 
what is the safest route to go to keep her children safe. In some instances, she may feel that it's safer to keep him in the home because then she can supervise the contact between him and the children rather than getting away from him herself and then having the children have to get to go with him without her being there. And so I think I'm hoping that that's the next level that that the court systems can start to really see and understand, you know, reasons why women don't leave. And I think that for so long, until we had things like domestic violence awareness month and, and we weren't, you know, we all knew it was horrible. I mean, you know, you'd walk into a store and you'd see a woman with a black eye and she's got a child and everyone's kind of glaring at the man that's with her, you know, thinking, what did he do? You know, just making these assumptions. I I think that we need to continue to evolve from that mentality because, you know, as we learned earlier in the podcast, not all violence is physical. Not all domestic violence is physical. There's so many other aspects of power and control that are used to intimidate, threaten, coerce, and on and on um, a victim. And again, having that, you know, a lot of women have children that are in these domestic violent relationships. And the fear is that if, you know, if, if he will, if he will abuse his wife, what's to stop him from abusing his children. The other thing I think is judgment. I think a lot of women also don't leave because of judgment. I think they are afraid of what he will say and what people will believe. Because again, especially those of us that are generation X back in the day, I know that I being in the social work field, a lot of times the judgment is if if they're, you know, what happened, what caused this, what, you know, women didn't say anything because they didn't want judgment. They, they just kept it quiet. They kept it in the home and they kept it behind closed doors. Um, And I think again, um, there's a, a big movement with mental health. And I, I hope that it starts disseminating and going to other huge topics that we as a society are attacking and trying to, to bring down. And that is that we need to heal loudly because healing quietly isn't going to help anybody. There have been some incredible shows on some of the streaming services. I think one of them is Big Little Lies, I think is one of the names of them, where there was, is that the one with uh, Reese Witherspoon and some I've of the other- i the name. I'm, I'm not familiar, so. I think that's the one. Um, and there, it, it shows us that, you know, domestic violence, you know, is not just, you know, people living in poverty and that it does span across all races, genders, socioeconomic statuses, you know, it happens to the least educated and the most educated. And it is not confined to one stereotype of people. It's not, it's, it's, it crosses every border boundary, everything that you can think of. And, you know, this is even more dangerous you know, for pregnant women. According to the CDC, more than 300,000 pregnant women in the United States experience intimate partner violence every year. One in six women experience abuse for the first time during their pregnancy. It makes you wonder what the reasoning is behind that. Is is the pregnancy kind of a trigger for the abuser to go into these behaviors or it's interesting. 
pregnancy brings oftentimes new situations into a relationship in a household. You know, when a woman is pregnant, sometimes she can't work and that may, you know, affect the financial stability of the household, which increases emotions and heightens everybody's emotions. Maybe Mm -hmm. um, one of the partners wasn't ready for a pregnancy to occur. Maybe it was a surprise or it was unplanned. I think maybe it was, you know, it's a time when, when a woman gets a lot of attention when she's pregnant. And sometimes that attention may not be wanted on be, on behalf of her spouse. Maybe there's some jealousy there. Maybe there is some insecurity. And I think that when you're dealing with all these new hosts of emotions, I think that is unfortunately what can, what can contribute to the desire for the power and control, which they may feel is obtained through domestic violence, whether directly or indirectly. But mm-hmm. I think that women are so much more vulnerable. I mean, your body is, you're not just one person, you're two at that time. And, you know, the risk of hurting the baby or hurting the mother, you know, through hurting the baby just physically is insurmountable. And it is um, something that I know the courts have really tried to address. I know that the consequences are severe if there is physical harm to the mother or child while she's pregnant. And again, I, I applaud that. I I think that we, again, need to understand that when you are a victim of domestic violence, you are under such power and control if it is ongoing. And you are trying, like you had stated, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, You're trying to figure out how to survive. And at the same time, you have this dream of having this perfect family of having you know the baby born and you want the baby to have a relationship with the baby's father and you have this picture perfect image in your head and you are trying to achieve that goal for not only yourself but for your unborn child and if you decide to take the stand of i i need to get out i need help he's hurting me i can't make it stop then i know i've talked with women who fear that he will leave, that he won't get help, that he will um, tell everybody she's lying that, you know, and the relationship will crumble. And that's not, I think it's innate for a woman to want to nest when she's pregnant. You know, she wants to prepare the perfect home. And so when you are, have a partner that is hurting you, I would imagine that it would be very difficult to navigate those, those waters of what do I do? Because I still want him to be the father. I still want him to support me in my pregnancy. And so we see a lot of this in the adoption world. You know, we see a lot of women that are very conflicted. They don't want to call the police. They don't want to, in parentheticals, hurt their, their partner. Uh, They sometimes will feel like it's their fault that maybe they shouldn't have said something. Maybe they provoked him. Maybe, you know, if they had done something different, maybe the outcome wouldn't have occurred. And to me, that is, that is so sad because again, it's a lack of education. It's a lack of understanding. And hopefully throughout the next couple of years, especially during the months of October, we can really rally together as a country and and fight domestic violence and the systemic problem that it has become and maybe always has been. 
I think one of the key things to really understand is that domestic violence is not always physical. And that is, I know we mentioned this in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but if I could have one point, that's what I want to drive home is financial control. It's very hard to leave somebody when you have no access to any finances, when you have nothing, especially if you have children, because there's this whole host of problems back in the day where, where you hear, we'll just go to a domestic violence shelter. Well, that is, that is an option for many women. However, for some women, maybe they have dogs that they've had all their lives and they can't bring their dogs, or maybe they have a job and it's, it, there's no way that they can continue, you know, going into hiding and yet go to work every day if they don't telecommute. I mean, there's so many barriers to just being able to walk away from your life for two or three months and go live in a shelter to stay safe mm-hmm. and lose everything that you've ever worked for um, to try to get away from somebody else. So this is a huge, huge issue that I I don't think that we as a society are really understanding, recognizing, or giving the time and attention and resources that it really needs. Right. One thing I, I want to reemphasize in our podcast is <clears throat> being a victim of domestic violence is nothing that any man or woman wants to own. It's not something that, you know, somebody is is proud of or, you know, wants to share with other people. It's not, it's something that, you know, you want to put in a closet and and forget that it ever happened you don't want to it to be your life story you don't want to be remembered as a victim well, what do you say ron yeah people aren't going to believe you people are not going to believe you when when you come out with this they're they're not going to believe you until they do their own investigation because that's what everybody does when you come to somebody and you say something they then do their own mental investigation of mm-hmm. checking their own facts and what they believe and what they've heard and what they understand and what they've seen and you are going to be on trial with every person you talk to. That's really what this is. And there are going to be people that don't believe you. And there are going to be people that are going to side with him. And there are, I don't know my case. And he, he isolated me and the kids from so many people that I went from having all these friends to having almost not. As I mentioned um, earlier in the podcast, I have been working with women um, who have been victims of domestic violence pretty much my whole career in some aspect or another, Um, especially in the last 19 years and working in the adoption community. uh, A lot of birth mothers have come into the agency and and talked about their concerns and their fears um, and what has happened. And, and I've listened and I can tell you from a personal and professional standpoint that Domestic violence is something that we as a society have to combat together. That you know, leaving a perpetrator is it may be the hardest thing you've ever done. The mountain is steep and it's hard to climb. And there's a lot of things that you have to go through to protect yourself, to protect your children, to heal, to be able to consider what life will look like living a normal life again one day. Um, it will be worth it. And there is help out there and you're not alone. And I think that when people can step forward and be brave and take their life back, 
that's where we can heal. Above and beyond taking control of their own life, I think it's heroic for them to share their experiences and let those other people going through these situations know that they are truly not alone. It's not just people who can empathize, but people who can truly sympathize and have been there themselves. And I think that, you know, even I myself could not truly understand or even imagine what this is like until I, until I joined the hundreds of thousands of women As a victim, I too had no idea what this was truly like. I had no true comprehension or understanding of the obstacles that you face. And now that I understand and that I know, I see the need for society to step up, to help spread awareness to help provide resources and education and understanding for all of the women that are trying to survive, that are trying to have a better life for themselves and their children. And it's not something that can be done alone or in solitude. Standing together is the only way out. And for everybody listening, if you are in a relationship and experiencing domestic violence, there is still hope. There is still a way that you can not be treated like this. You don't deserve it. It's not your fault. There are no excuses to be had for what's been done to you. And you can heal and your children can heal. I do think it's very important what we're doing today because, as you had said, no matter how much you truly feel like you understand what somebody's going through, you never do completely until you're in it. And I think it's very powerful, and I know it's not easy for you to to go on this very public platform and talk about these things. But I do think it's important for the women out there who are going through this to know that it's not just them. This isn't something that only happens to people that are homeless or, you know, like you said, this spans from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich. This isn't beyond anybody. This is something that can touch any of us. And for one in four women to have to deal with this, they need to know that there's others out there who will help them, who will support them, and who will truly understand them. As much as I empathize with somebody in this situation, I'll never understand it unless I go through it. So for people like you to be brave enough to come forward, I think that's very important for others to hear. And maybe give them the inspiration to do what they need to break free of this cycle. Ron, I didn't see it for so long. I didn't accept it. I didn't, I knew what he was doing was wrong. I knew that 
it wasn't okay. Um, my counselor used a technique that worked. We were in marriage counseling and it was like our third session. We only had three or four because he was so awful. We couldn't even have one. Um, and I didn't know at the time what she was doing, but she explained it to me afterwards after I had left him is he would go after her and target her in the sessions because she would defend me. Um, he would say something really mean to me and she would say, did you just call her? I don't, he would say, I don't even remember what the name was. There's so many of them. I didn't even hear it. I'm so used to hearing them. I didn't even recognize it. And he was like, uh, oh. you know what I mean? Like he, he would just blow it off and she would say like, why are you speaking to her like that? Like what, what, why are you doing that? And he would turn on her and just start attacking her like, professionally, personally. And I was horrified. It made me look at him differently. I, I saw him, I think from an outsider's perspective, I saw him doing to somebody else what he does to me. But it in my mind, it was just me. I, I didn't matter enough that I would leave for me. Does that make sense? Like it mm-hmm. wasn't, um, but I, I didn't want him to speak like that to her. Like that really bothered me. Like yeah. I had accepted it for myself, but to speak to her like that when she's trying to help him made me sick, almost physically sick. And I and would that's just what she was showing you. Yes. Hmm. And she said, when she explained it to me, she said, you know, I I'm strong enough with myself that I can do this and I can let him verbally abuse her basically. And I wanted you to see it. And it, it did. And wow. um, it worked. So it worked. If you were to talk to a young lady and give her some advice, because I'm sure that when this started, it was like the frog in boiling water where, oh, it's just a little thing that that didn't mean anything. And then it escalated and escalated until you're boiling in the water. But for a young lady or a young man that is getting into a relationship and they have concerns do you have advice for them is there red flags to look out for is that what would you warn them about definitely so i i think um in situations like mine i think it starts off with a strong um desire for the the perpetrator to have control over you And, and it's not just physical control it's mind control it's um things like well, you believe this, right? Well, if you don't believe this, if your opinion's different, then it's wrong. And, you know, it, it's a stance of, you know, it, it's all you, it's not me, it's it's all you. You know, I only did X because you did Y. And, you know, if you had not confronted me like that or had, had not said those things to me, then I wouldn't have reacted in the manner that I reacted. And so I think, Shift the the overt shifting of any blame or responsibility is probably the number one red flag early on. The inability to own and apologize or make amends um, is is a huge one. Looking back on on uh, my experiences, that that that, that was huge. The um, the inability to. Uh, be approachable. In other words, I think constructive criticism is great, Mm -hmm. but even taking it a step further than that, if you have 
a concern or there's something that's really worrying you about somebody else going to them and being able to say, Hey, like it makes me uncomfortable when you do X or I didn't really appreciate the way that you spoke to me this afternoon. Um, like I would really prefer that we be able to have, you know, a, a dialogue and, and be able to let each other know, like, I, this is a boundary for me. I'm not okay with this. Um, another huge red flag. And then that goes into boundaries. I, I mean, all boundaries in my situation are, were ignored. And so, you know, when I would say like, you know, I, I don't want to be called a name or I don't want, you know, you to raise your voice at me or I don't want you, you know, those types of things being ignored, even though you're repeatedly asking to just, you know, for the basic level of, of respect mm-hmm. is, it's really hard to grasp. I think that when you are systematically kind of broken down and you are ignored and devalued and unrecognized for things that you really try to do. I mean, I know that I really tried in my head at the time, (laughs) I felt like if it was all my fault, you know, I was the one doing everything wrong. And if I could change myself, then inevitably it would be like a domino and they would change too. And so by owning it and saying, you know, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done X. I, I, let's focus on what I did wrong rather than what you did wrong. Um, then the, the focus is on me and then I can change it and then everything will be fine. Not the case. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, when somebody says, well, I just reacted to you. I, you know, I, you know, you started this, you're the match lighter, you are this and that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something called also reactive abuse. And that is where, you know, somebody does something to you and they're repeatedly coming at you and they're, you know what I mean? They're height, they're, they're poking at you and they're instigating and they're doing this and this and this. And then when somebody finally reacts and they don't have the best reaction at that point, then the focus is on that person just reacting. So I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth. What I'm trying to say is, is do you think that in that situation that they feel like, okay, now that this person blew up at me, I'm justified in whatever I do and say next. And sometimes that'll happen like on the front end, like they may, you know, cause all kinds of turmoil and, and upheaval and then sit back and pull out a phone and then record you as you know, you are now falling apart and you're angry and you're upset. And they're like, well, it's not me. It's you look ignoring everything else that was done prior or overt extreme reactions. Um, you know, one, one thing that was a commonality was, you know, if, if I would try to bring up something or if I was trying to bring up a topic at hand or a concern that I had, um, I obviously didn't follow a script. And so it was never the right time, the right approach, the right words. None of what I did was right, according to them. And because of that, that was supposed to justify any reaction. So then whatever I was coming to the table with to discuss, it it wasn't about that anymore. It was about the fact that I approached this person in the wrong manner, with the wrong words, in the wrong 
context and you know it and it wasn't it was never about the original issue it was again a deflection of what was really the issue at hand there there was an old saying back in our day and you probably will remember this where they say once you go further than kissing and you go to second base or third base you can never go back to holding hands do you remember that that mm-hmm. that phrase yeah um I would say a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times in domestic violence, it's the same. You know, once you cross that barrier of the first time they put their hands on you, you can't get back to a point before that. It's always there. It's always you've already crossed the Rubicon, right? It's 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 there. So it's it's like always in the back of your head, like okay, well, you know, what is it going to take to get there the next time, or or how you know if I say something, is that going to trigger it? You know, what's what's going to be the precipitator? towards that happening. And I think that that is um, a huge mental issue, you know, for, for victims of domestic violence, because you never know what the tipping point is going to be next. Is the threshold just going to keep getting lower? Is the bar just dropping? Like what, you know, they, they promised they'd never do it again. But again, can you go back to just holding hands? When you're in that situation, is that how you feel like, oh, I can still get back to what it was like before that point. Is that in your head? Yes. I think living, I think living with the hope that they will change is really what it is. is right. you know, because what it, from the outside, we look at it and go, that's the point at which you leave. You, you say, okay, I recognize this totally as what it is, but see, that's why somebody like me will never truly understand. I mean, we, can conceptually understand it. We we intellectually understand it, but we can't emotionally put ourselves in that place. Right. So, so I think I think what a common uh, mentality for you know domestic violence uh, victims is is that people only know what you tell them. So yeah. if you are being abused and you don't tell anybody, then in your head you're wrestling with, well, did it really happen? Was it really as bad as I thought it was? you know, I'm, I'm so ashamed and embarrassed. I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know what happened because he's saying it's all my fault anyway. And so he's telling me it's all my fault. Then why am I going to go and tell somebody what he did? Because then I'm just telling on myself. And it is exceedingly hard to really grasp that concept because I think there is so much shame and humiliation and embarrassment on behalf of the victim because if you're constantly being told that you, that it's your fault and that you're responsible at some point, the grooming takes over and you're conditioned and in your head, you again, have been either isolated because they have taken people out of your life to try to keep um, people who know at a minimum, or maybe you yourself have isolated because you don't want people to know what's really happening. And you want to keep up this facade of how amazing and perfect and wonderful everything is. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, getting to the point where you can accept that, oh my gosh, like this is this bad. And I I don't want to live like this anymore. And what have my children seen or heard? And how are they handling this and you know, do I have the strength to go to them and ask them like, are you okay? Have you, do you want to talk about anything? Um, is really a place that takes a long time to get through too. I think that many, many victims, the very first time somebody does put their hands on you or any aspect of domestic violence, 
I think it's so shocking because you, you think in your head, like, this isn't going to happen. Like, this is a great person. This is a great guy. This is, um, everybody loves him. Like, how would anybody think that he would do something this heinous or horrible? And the fear of not being believed or not being considered credible is, is really hard. And again, I know they're saying it's one out of every four, but I would venture to say it's higher. So much of society has really attributed to domestic violence as being defined as physical violence. Right. And it's not just physical violence. It's not. And, you know, I think, you know, people use the term loosely, but narcissism is is a real thing. And it is something that we as a society have been really talking about more and people use it as a, an insult, as, you know, a joke, as whatever. And it's not funny and it it is not a good thing. Um, But it it is bringing awareness to it and and any, you know, on some level. But I think that because of that, I think that we are going to start learning more and I'm hoping that it will increase awareness, not in just narcissism, but in domestic violence, because a lot of the times the two overlap. The whole goal of this podcast is spreading domestic violent awareness and helping people break down the barriers of what it is and understanding what we're really dealing with and the complexity of it and how it it reaches into every category of people. It's not just a United States thing. It's not just a female versus male thing or male versus female. It's not um, just for the lower socioeconomic status, people in that category or people in the, you know, in the high category of, you know, the wealthiest. It's not, it's not the 1% of any category. It's not even close to that. Um, This is an epidemic of the worst you can imagine. And while there are resources out there, there's not enough resources out there. There's not enough help for people who need it or enough understanding of where to start what do you, what's the first step? What do you do? You know, when, when you are trying to become sober, you know, the first step is to go through detox and to go through, uh, you know, to get into a program and to go to meetings and, you know, there's all these different levels and these different avenues with domestic violence for so long. It's just been, well, there are domestic violence shelters. That's an option. There are, you can go to counseling, you can go get a domestic, you can go get a restraining order. Well, that's not step over step a plan. I mean, that's not how you start to open up or tell people or protect your children or uh, maintain a job while you are going through this turmoil in your life, that there's no step over step for that. Um, People are not always open to saying, Hey, you know what? I've walked in your shoes. I understand what you're feeling and I'm here to help. Like that's not, you know, there, there are no, to my knowledge, you know, sponsors sitting around waiting for people to come to them so that they can support them and be there 24 seven. I mean, there are hotlines that can help and things, but I think that as we increase domestic violence awareness, we need to have plans for people. We need to have, you know, step over step, what they can do so that they know what to expect so that they're not, um, you know, losing their job because they have to protect their children or, or, you know, going into a domestic violence shelter 
And, you know, what do they do with their pets? What do they do with their sentimental things? You know, sometimes perpetrators will threaten to harm the animals or they will threaten to destroy the home or burn it down. Or you know, there's all kinds of things um, that have to be weighed into. And I think one of the most difficult aspects of domestic violence is really the self-talks that you have in your head of weighing everything out and, you know, whether or not you played a part in this and what you did, is this your fault? Is this something that you could have changed in the relationship so that it could have been a good relationship is, you know, how much of this is really on you versus, I think those self-talks are what keep a lot of women from, from getting out of them. And unfortunately, a lot of times people don't actually leave domestic violent relationships until um, they have almost lost their lives or they they have been seriously injured or they have been um, in a position where they didn't have any other options. Right. I want to truly thank you, Kelly, because you've put yourself on the line. It's not an easy thing to talk about, I'm sure. Despite that, I think it's an important thing what you've done to share this with our audience and let them know that if they're going through this, they're not alone. This may be something that affects you or affects them the rest of your lives. And uh, just to know that there's others out there who, who do truly understand and have been through it and are going through it and they are not alone. And there's people out here that really do truly care. So I think that's very powerful. And I thank you for putting yourself out there like that. Hopefully it helps. Stay strong. If you or someone you know is currently dealing with a domestic violence situation, you can go to domesticshelters.org to find a shelter near you. Also, visit myplanapp.org for safety planning resources. That's M-Y-P-L-A-N-A-P-P dot O-R-G. You can visit askaz.org to get immediate access to information needed most in the event of a sexual assault in Arizona. It's quick, confidential, and free. Also, there's a free app for both Android and iPhones. We'll put these links and more in the show notes for this episode. We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. Or you can reach us on our toll-free number 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and help you get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan, or just give you more information. Check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by looking for AZ Adopt Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us and tell your friends about us. Birth Mother Matters in Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Thanks go out to Grapes for letting us use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Join us next time on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Rains, and we'll see you then. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 